All right, welcome back to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton, and uh, yeah, I wanted to do an intro today. What's up? I can do that. This is my podcast. And uh, the reason being is I just have some housekeeping notes here. We have been pushing out some major oh, public land, mobile hunting type videos to YouTube. Um, and if you are a listener of the podcast and don't know about us on YouTube, well, let me tell you, you are in for a treat, I feel. Um, we're really kind of targeting staying in our lane there, but you know, stuff like the public land hunters checklist for June, uh, saddle hunting, three big concerns. Uh, we even did a, like a top public land podcast, uh, breakdown and, and got episode numbers from, from kind of the top level podcast for you guys to go download. So definitely take a look at, uh, our YouTube. Um, we did give away a hat based on that. Cause we're trying to look at that as a, a as a major outlet, um, Appreciate everyone tuning in this week. Uh, Nick's a top-level killer for sure. Uh, cool mobile hunting stories. Um, I think a lot of what he's doing can be mirrored to the public land guy. Um, so you're going to enjoy this. Uh, thanks for listening. Also, last week we had a killer episode with Jake Bush. If you haven't caught that one and you're a trail cam guy, lots of good detail there. Enjoy. All right. Welcome back to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. I am your host, Byron Horton. I uh, got a guy on today from Iowa, actually, and, and Nick is a guy I literally talked to, oh, about two to three weeks ago on the phone, uh, just doing, oh, some camera talk, and then it led into deer talk, and 45 minutes later, I'm like, dude, like, uh, I feel like uh, you're one of the guys I need to talk to on a regular basis, and, uh, <laughs> you know, he's going to be filming for Whitetail Addiction, so he's doing stuff at a high level, and, and Nick, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Byron. I appreciate it. Glad to be on. Awesome. So Nick is actually originally from Ohio um, and then has moved to Iowa. Nick, how many years ago? So I moved to Iowa, born and raised in Northeast Ohio, um, moved to Iowa June 2014. So six okay. years ago this month. Okay. Um, so I, you know, one of the things I think we should just go ahead and start unpacking here is, is, is Give me a 30 to 60 second speech of who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about oh, some of your deer hunting history or, or, you know, what you, you, you know, you're obviously a whitetail addict and, and I know you do things at a high level. Just give me a 60 second run through on, on yourself. Yeah. So again, I'm uh, from Northeast Ohio, uh, born and raised, um, really got my grassroots into hunting uh, from my grandfather. You may hear me reference him um, as Pap. Um, you know, I grew up in his household with my mom. My mom was a single mother. Uh, she grinded it out, went to nursing school. Um, and I was really fortunate to have a really great um, father figure in my life and being Pap. And, you know, with him, my uncles and my cousins, we, you know, I really cut my teeth on public land, um, Southern Ohio, Coshocton and Jefferson counties, really uh, mainly. And to me, growing up, it was really just about gun season. Um, you know, I, I, we would go opening day, maybe one day in muzzleloader, I would get, you know, I was fortunate enough uh, to have a cool mom that let me off school and we would go and that was my season. And until about, uh, I was 12 years old and I, I looked at Pap and I said, hey, you know, I, you know, and he really didn't bow hunt other than many, many years ago. And I said, hey, I want to try bow hunting. And just from reading, Back then, just, uh, you know, North American Whitetail magazines, um, watching Monster Bucks DVDs on VHS a long time ago, you know, I just got, I just saw there was another side of it, and uh, we got a, uh, 
a Horton crossbow. Uh, oh, yeah. Start. And uh, we went out. And I, we took it out, I think, two or three times. And I, I, I looked at I looked at Fab and said, no, I want to do the real thing. And no, you know, nothing wrong with crossbows. That's just how I felt as a as a young a young kid. And um, so we went to a local um, pro shop and I got hooked up with my first compound at uh, I think I was 12 or 13. And from there, it kind of just unraveled um, into this crazy addiction. Um, you know, I really started teaching myself, you know, like I mentioned, my, most of my family didn't bow hunt, they were mainly gun hunters. And, you know, just from, from day one, I noticed quickly that being mobile was, was key to my, a, a huge key to my success. And back then it was in Ohio, you know, I ran with a, a lone wolf, um, sit and climb for years. And, uh, I would just prep a bunch of trees in the summer. And uh, from there, we just hop around tree to tree until I killed my deer. And then that has transformed into um, <laughs> crazy addiction, um, you know, moving to Iowa um, and been fortunate to kill a lot of big deer along the way, both in Ohio, Illinois, Kansas, and Iowa. So it's been uh, it's all I do outside of my uh, professional life. And uh, yeah, I'm completely addicted. Nice. So when you were running around Southern Ohio with, with a climber, um, and it, we, obviously you said you got your compound, was, uh, were you taking trips in the rut or, or was it just a weekend, every weekend that was understood what was going on? Uh, tell sure. me a little bit about, you know, chasing deer with that, that hand climber. I know that's how <laughs> Dave and I both started kind of our mobile. Yeah. So uh, back then I just hunted as much as I possibly could. Um, there was no rhyme or reason. You know, my, it was mainly weekend hunting because I was, you know, obviously in school and I would sneak out as, you know, as much as I could in the, the afternoons, but mainly weekend hunting, uh, you know, my, my pap, he, uh, he worked Monday through Friday and sometimes on Saturdays. Um, but he, he had the bug bad too. And he saw that I had it really bad. So when I started to get into bow hunting, I mean, we were going as much as I probably hunt now. And, you know, back then it was, we would always drive by this one piece of private on 77 South, um, heading down to the to the public ground. And, um, you know, I, as a courageous 13 or 14 year old, I, I looked at him, I said, Hey, let's go, let's go find out who owns that piece. You know, I really want to, I really want to, I want to hunt that pap. And, uh, so we did, we, you know, we had driven by it for years and it just looks majestic, you know, from the highway. And I'm sure you've probably driven by it. And, uh, we stopped and, um, you know, the landowner was very gracious. He let, other than his, uh, his grandkids, he, he didn't let anybody hunt. And for whatever reason, he gave us permission. And that, that's kind of started my, my realm into getting access and learning how to do that. I think that's, um, you know, in the world today, there's just so much involved with, you know, buying your own piece or leasing this. And yeah, unfortunately, I think that is a lot of what we have to do if you're not hunting public, but there still are a lot of good landowners out there. Um, you know, as, as long as you um, offer up some help and, and, you know, take care of their property. I mean, there, there's still a lot of people out there that gave permission. So. Nice. Nice. Um, I, I guess rewinding when you would travel to Southern Ohio, um, were you, were you guys camping or, or, cause I think that's a gotta be a decent haul from the house or was it yeah. early mornings and late nights? 
it, it was very early mornings and late nights. So I grew up in Akron. Um, and so that drive was an hour and a half, um, hour 45. And I mean, we would leave our house a lot of times at, you know, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't even go to bed because I was so jacked. And, um, you know, coming home, I would sleep on the way home. My, my fab drove me home, but, um, and then as a teenager, I, I, I you know, I, I got some friends that were halfway, halfway down there. So I'd stay with them and, but it was always, and still to this day is I, you know, I don't really have a lot of land close and I'm sure we'll get into that later, but, um, you know, I, I travel quite a bit to hunt and, you know, I pick my, pick my times and, and, and the right weather to, to spend my time out there. You know, I, I'm very busy with work and family, so, uh, you gotta be strategic about that. Yeah. So, so, so you've moved, so let, let's look at, uh, all kind of a little bit on what you talked about there. You moved to Iowa and, and it's almost probably like starting from ground zero. What, uh, I guess, what did that process look like as far as, okay, when you move there or you, you know, you got to pick up new ground to hunt, I assume, you know, maybe you live on 40 acres, but uh, you and I talked before this, we decided that's definitely not enough. Um, what did that process look like? Where did you kind of start start the ball rolling there? Yeah, so this is a really crazy story that uh, for those of you that don't know me, um, it's hard to believe, but here's, here's how it went. So I, uh, my wife now, then my fiance um, and I were, um, you know, we had no responsibilities. We were oh, 24, 25. Okay. And uh, we had no kids at the time. And <laughs> we came home both from just a crappy day at work. And, um, you know, I looked at her I, and for years I've wanted to move out here. Um, so I'll back up a little bit. My uncle, uh, moved out here 25 years ago for work, um, just an hour east of Des Moines. And for years, my grandfather and I, um, had been coming out doing the party hunting, um, with shotguns. And it was just like a, an adult playground for me. I mean, I, I came on here, I was like, man, I, I eventually have to be out here. This is amazing. And uh, so <laughs> around that time, you know, I think it was only about six months before we moved, I just looked at her and said, let's move to Iowa. And uh, it, she kind of looked at me kind of cross-eyed <laughs> and said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm very serious. Let's move. We have nothing holding us back. So we, we, you know, she got two or three jobs. I worked you know, a couple jobs and we saved up as much money as we could. And in six months, we, we packed up everything in a U-Haul and moved. And the crazy part about it is where we moved, uh, you know, I strategically looked at that on a Google map and said, I want to live there. And wow. uh, we, we didn't have jobs um, at the time. Um, you know, w when we got here, we rented a house over the internet, sight unseen. Um, so <laughs> as adventurous as you can imagine it was um you know i think in that first that first year i mean we moved like three or four houses to until we found the spot that we wanted to um mm -hmm. but yeah it, it has been crazy i was really fortunate to get hooked up with a company out here um that's phenomenal um and i wouldn't be where i'm at today without the support of my wife a but b also working for the company i do so yeah fortunate to move around quite a bit you had mentioned there that you you went out there for some shotgun seasons and said I got to be here. What why what made it like, dude? This is this is this is yeah. for me. This is the the hunting I want to be around. Like, talk a little bit more about the draw there. Yeah. So, 
the difference for me so anybody that has ever hunted ohio or lives in ohio um you know it's a it's it's the hunting density the hunting population of people is very high um, and there's a lot of big metros in ohio that a lot of people you know travel from to hunt and in iowa it is a very rural state so why that's important is i mean as soon as you leave a metro here there's not there's not this fade into like suburbia and semi urban and then to um, rural it's straight you leave des moines it goes to rural and i mean there's farm fields you can see a farm field from the mall in des moines and out here um, it is a huge heritage of gun hunting mm -hmm. um, and i would say up until a few years ago bow hunting really hasn't exploded like like it was back then and i just saw that and i i I, all the people out here I mean the phrase is Iowa nice and I would just I just had so much good luck I mean they almost laughed at me um you know when I said hey can I bow hunt they're like uh sure like you know I guess and it was just totally different you know as you know in Ohio it's totally different yeah and uh that was the first appeal um and also just the amount of deer back then um was just absolutely insane it's definitely different now uh, but you know in the late 2000s 2007 2008 2009 it was nothing to you know hunt a piece during gun season and watch 150 deer run out of it i mean it was literally the most insane thing you anyone could imagine wow now were, were you seeing good caliber bucks too as far as like you were just seeing more you know three and a half year old plus deer and deer numbers it sounds like yeah, it was both. I mean, we, uh, you know, there was a year, I don't remember what year it was, but we killed a, a 186 and a 168 on the same drive. And then there was a, an eight point that ran out of that drive as well. That probably was a boon eight. I mean, it was the biggest eight I've still to this day I've ever seen in my life. And, um, you know, again, I think some of the disease that has came through and just the, the pressure from uh, non-residents uh, buying land here. I mean, it has definitely changed. Mm -hmm. since then um i i mean just the deer numbers are are definitely lower but there's still great genetics here so yeah and and i would probably uh, from from an outside perspective does a lot of good things with their dnr for hunting as far as they realize they've got a, a oh if you look at supply and demand they, they've got a demand for for their hunting so they can charge a a, a good amount for the tag to out-of-state guys and then um they also kind of control how many out-of-state guys are coming in. And you look at a state like Ohio, one, it's, it's stupid cheap. And, and, and two, it's very accessible um, to a lot of like the East Coast and, and, and the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Southern guys and even the Michigan guys. Yeah, no, Iowa DNR does a great job. I mean, they, like you mentioned, the non-resident tags are pricey. Um, you know, uh, one really good thing they do is even though you can kill multiple bucks as a resident um, per year, you only can hunt unless you own land one one of the three gun seasons. And I think that saves a lot of deer. Um, you know, you have to select a season to your tag. So, I mean, the, and there is a long gun season here. I mean, it starts the first December and Saturday and runs all the way um you know there's pretty much a whole month of shotgun and then it goes muzzleloader all the way to january 10th so i mean there's a lot of gun season but 
there's a lot of season when there's not a lot of people out there too. Yeah, I uh, I know from spending time uh, at the DeQuisto farm, not realizing you guys do have a super long muzzleloader season in it, and it falls in a period of time um, that that kind of starts to force those deer to move. You know, I, I, w- when is that season? Yeah, it's December 17th through January 10th. Yeah. So it yeah. is quite long. And then there's an early muzzleloader season at the – it starts I think it's October 13th through the 21st so you can select that one as well um, which that can be a really good season if you get a good cold front yeah and 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 if you look at a muzzleloader nowadays it's it's a 100 150 yard single shot rifle I mean yeah it's yeah I mean my muzzleloader I mean I I think the you know my base the base of it is a TC pro hunter but then I got um, one of those smokeless um, you know conversion kits for it uh, built by a guy in Arizona. So, I mean, uh, I can shoot a, a chew can at like 300 yards with that gun. So, Jeez. I mean, it's, uh, it changes the game for sure. And I don't do much shotgun hunting anymore. Um, you know, I, I haven't in years, but I do, I do do muzzleloader. And, um, like you said, late season, if, if the weather gets brutal, I mean, it's, they're slaves to their stomachs and you can really get one pattern just like an early season. Yeah. And something I think, uh, well, before we dive down a, a couple rabbit holes is, is, um, I have noticed over my, my trips out to, to Iowa is, and, and coming from Ohio, it is consistently 10 ish degrees colder, maybe even 15 degrees colder. You guys get snow a lot more than us. Um, just for, yeah, I, I think a lot of our listeners are, are just based out of here in Ohio and, and don't think about how Northern Illinois, um, and, and the Iowa area, um, I guess I can't speak to Southern Iowa, but like it's, it's noticeably colder and and, more brutal weather in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're spot on. I mean, I think where I'm from in the Northeast Ohio, we have, that's kind of the the lake effect snow. So I think from how I grew up, definitely more snow, but probably Southern Ohio doesn't see as much snow as here. And then the, the big thing out here is it's so, it's a lot more flat than Ohio. So the wind is brutal. Hmm. Um, you know, if you, if you get a calm day, it's a blessing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, you know, the, it's very normal to have a 15 to 20 mile an hour wind yeah. every time you hunt. You, you had mentioned, uh, population density and I know here in Ohio, the, the counties I hunt are roughly 60 to about 120 people per square mile. And some of the areas I have hunted in Wisconsin and, and, and looked at in Iowa, you're talking 20s and 30 people per square mile yeah i mean it's it's quite a bit less and on the bow hunting side it's it's really low and like ohio you know it's a it's a it's a bow hunting state you know it goes the whole time there's no breaks the gun seasons are super short mm-hmm. here it's the opposite you know there people i mean it's like a ritual school shut down sure. i mean gun hunting is a ritual here yeah. So, so Nick, you move out there. What is like for you to be a good deer hunter and, and, and chase these things at the caliber you're wanting to chase them? What did your like first summer, or I don't, I'm not sure when you moved, but when you, you literally, once you got settled and uh, uh, into the right house and, and the areas, I got to think you were uh, scouting, knocking on doors, uh, maybe even looking at some public. What did that look like? How'd you get started there? Yeah, no, it's uh it was a lot of boots on the ground driving around. Um, 
I went for the first thing I did, I went to the, the nearest pro shop that had a lot of good reviews, archery pro shop. And I stopped in there and quickly realized that that, that guy, um, knew what he was doing. I mean, he, he had some monster gear on the wall. So I quickly just, you know, just started picking his brain of, Hey, you know, is there anybody, you know, that I could contact, you know, just anybody, any gracious landowners that, you know, if you put it on the pass on permission, I'd love to just start there and kind of, you know, see what happens. And he gave up a couple names and, um, went there and I've always, uh, <laughs> always felt like I've had the knack of talking to landowners um you know I think that's that's a whole podcast in itself probably but yeah it's probably uh, an art form. yeah it is and you know it's just really important that you don't go in there and make it seem that the only reason you're there is to hunt you know I some some conversations you know like it or not go an hour plus and you know down many rabbit holes and I've done some odd things to uh, get get on ground to hunt, you know, paint tractors, uh, mow their grass, you know, any any little thing just so I, they know, they feel like they're getting something out of the deal. Um, some people want, you know, the angle of, uh, oh, someone's watching their ground, especially elderly people. Um, you know, there's a lot of different different ways you can get permission on ground. So long story short, I mean, I that summer I probably called and hit over a hundred and hundred or 150 places. Um, you know, and I got more ground that I could hunt, put it that way. Um, oh, wow. I was really fortunate that year. Um, it was like a dream came true. Um, we, my wife and I were, were driving down just South of our house about 15 minutes South. And we saw the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life in a, in a bean field. And we nicknamed him mega. Unfortunately that deer got poached by, someone that was working in the state later that year um, but I had fortunate I got on a piece of ground like a quarter mile from there and had pictures of them and um, you know my first year there I, th I felt like that was a win in itself so he, he ended up scoring like 218 inches so um, it was a pretty cool I was like man I'm here you know I'm in Iowa now and um, it was it was neat but it was a lot of work yeah. Did you look at any public, uh, in your area as a real option to hunt? I did. Um, I did. There's, there's some really good public here. Um, you know, I, I met some guys that are strictly public only. The unfortunate thing for me, there wasn't any public close. Um, yeah. and I kind of just started hammering close by just so I could hunt as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have hunted public out here. Um, I've actually killed a good buck on public out here. Awesome. Um, well, tell me, this is a podcast, dude. One, did you kill a buck your first year there? Yeah, I did. I killed two bucks. Well, let, let, let's hear about it. What, what, yeah. what, I guess, how'd you make that happen? First, you moved <laughs> yeah, so, on some bucks? Yeah, so one of the farms I got on, um, you know, this elderly lady um, came into the store where I worked and uh, we just got chit-chatting and she's like, yeah, I own, I own a hundred acres around this area. And, uh, you know, I quickly, I, at that time I knew that area at least a little bit. And I was like, man, that's a really, <laughs> that's a really good, you know, really good area. And she had, you know, she clearly didn't know or have anybody hunt. And I was like, ma'am, do you mind if I bow hunted there? And she again, looked at me kind of weird, like, yeah, I guess. And I went there and it was just, a beautiful property i mean just rugged thick um 
deer everywhere, um, coyotes. Are, I mean, everything you turkeys everywhere. Every everything was there, and I put some cameras up. Uh, got this one buck. Um, I called him Turkey Foot because he had this this big Turkey Foot looking split. Um, and I actually, um, you know, I killed him on the ground later that year. I watched him these two bucks fighting in this ditch and. Uh, midday and I went over there I got down on my stand I went down over there and I stood and just because I saw fur flying and everything it was pretty intense and um, I went and just kind of scoped the area and I was like you know what and I just had this gut intuition um, and I don't know why but I did so I took out my horns and I rattled and five minutes later that deer came walking straight up the ditch right at me I pulled back while he was looking directly at me and he kept walking, snorting, and had his ears pinned back. And he walked to 10 yards, and I shot him in the chest. And it was, uh, it was wild. I mean, it was, it was one of the more intense hunts I've ever had. And was, then, that, uh, was that a first time sit? First, like, I guess, what time of year was this? Also, that was my second sit on that farm. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, I want to say, October 28th. Okay, so getting late October. Why'd you set up there? It was, it was a good pinch point. So there was there was some old trails mode um, where I think she walked her dogs um, mm. and it, there was a trail mode back to this, where this ditch met um, kind of this open spot. And it honestly would have been a perfect spot for a little kill food plot. But at, at that time I didn't have the resources to, to really do that. Um, and uh, it, it just, a lot of trails intersected right there. And uh, just looking at maps, I do a lot of, a lot of looking at maps and, basing on where pictures were and uh, I just felt like something would happen right there and that that sit that morning I mean I had three or four 135 to 145 bucks come come walking by and I was waiting for that big boy and um, you know after that fight happened I went down there and it it, it just worked out so yeah did, did you feel that like this lady let you onto this piece and and did she mention hey nobody's hunted here for x number of years I mean to to have that kind of age class right away, you're finding it the second sit. Uh, it, yeah. To me, it sounds like you're a pretty damn good e-scouter. Um, and two, it sounds like you found the right piece. Yeah. I mean, it was out of the 100 acres or 120 acres, whatever it was. I mean, there was probably 80 to 90 acres of timber. So, Oh, nice. And it was surrounded by just big timbers and, um, you know, Davis County where there's a lot of timber. and um, yeah, I mean, I could I could tell by just how our conversation was going that she she wasn't real familiar with hunting. I couldn't really get out of her like if other people hunted there. Didn't really yeah. didn't even really care at that time. I just knew that this was a good area, um, but I never found a tree stand or cameras or anything like that. Um, I later later had the situation of uh, some grandkids that became frustrated that I was she gave permission to me hunting there and yep. um, they ended up actually selling that property but um, but yeah to start I I didn't have much pressure there man that's yeah that's that's cool and and literally to make it happen the first year I gotta think that's a pretty uh was it your biggest buck to date or a better uh, maybe your top three and I think it was like, my second I gotta think a pretty cool feeling being your yeah. first year getting it done Oh, it was, it was rewarding. You know, it, it was, it was more than the deer, you know, like you're saying, it was, it was definitely like, man, I, I moved all this way. I made these sacrifices and I took these huge risks and uh, I made it happen. But 
I think it was my second biggest year. Um, but yeah, it was a heck of a buck. He, I think he ended up scoring in the upper one sixties. Um, and you know, any, I I always score deer for myself. I I think, I think the industry itself, you know, and again, this is a, could be a rabbit hole topic, but I think we get a little out of hand with that. Um, you know, I, I think if it's a deer that you want to shoot, shoot it. Yeah. You know, if if you see that deer and it's the moment, like just make it happen. And I, I feel like we we take that others take that way out of proportion sometimes and it ruins it for a lot of young people, um, or a lot of people that don't care about shooting big horns. And you know, if that's your motive, that's awesome. You know, I think all types of hunting is important, um, be it meat hunting or or you know if the 130 makes you happy then do it you know i i'm not that i'll never be that guy to i actually hate when i see people shunning people for shooting certain deer that's super frustrating for me yeah yeah and and by all means like i don't have a pile of bucks on the wall um that are that are giants by any standards but uh i do like i don't geek out on antler size inches but like you know, if you tell me you saw it like a 140 inch eight, that's a, you know, w- w- with, you know, let's just say decent mass, like that's way different than seeing a uh, 140 inch spindly 10, you know, like, oh, for sure. Y- you know, some of that, I, I kind of like those conversation pieces or, you know, I found a big shed. Well, how big was the shed? I'm able to say, oh, you know, if, if you gave him an 18 inch spread, he'd score 125. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, I like being able to kind of picture and, and reference and, um, you know, when you're talking with guys, I think that do stuff at a high caliber, like, and you, you say, oh, I seen a good one. Well, you know, you're able to say, oh, I've seen roughly this, this inch range and maybe yeah. a characteristic he had a drop or he was a little wide or he had good mass, you know? Yeah, it's all relative. I mean, I hunt with a couple buddies um, that don't kill the caliber deer that I do and don't care to. And, um, you know, when I, when I hear them say, Hey, Nick, I saw a good 10 going into that farm you hunt to me, I I have to self-evaluate that because a good 10 to your point is a lot different to them than to me, you know, a good 10 to them could be a deer. I don't even pick the bow up off the hanger for. So yeah, it's just what kind of 10 does get you to pick the bow off the hanger. Um, so this is sad to say, but you know, I'm like I said, I've been fortunate to kill a lot of big deer and and any more. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't really get too jacked over you know that 150, 160 inch deer anymore. I mean, it it takes and it makes for a long season. I'll just tell you. I mean, it, there's not a lot of you know Boone class quality deer out there. I mean, even here um, or anywhere, and that that's definitely a misconception of Iowa that they're everywhere because they're not. I can tell you. Yeah. Uh, what about a 150s eight? Oh, I mean, a big eight like that. Yeah, he's gonna die. Okay. Okay. Uh, Did, I, have that... a, I have an affinity for big eights. I was um, gonna I've ask, a, does that trip the trigger? Oh, big time. I, I've killed a couple of them. Uh, a couple years ago, I killed a 154 inch eight, and then uh, my biggest eight's a, a 162. So it, I have a, I have a, uh, I have a major affinity for big eights because. You know, an eight that big makes a 160-inch 10 look little. Yeah. So, you know, I think what you've just described as, uh, as far as your chase, I, I think this played into our conversation, oh, three weeks ago on the phone when, um, oh, Justin uh, had mentioned you, Justin Hollinsworth, uh, as a guy that was going to come on for addictions. And 
me and you got to talking on the phone just about camera gear and filming hunts. And uh, you had said something along the lines like addictions is one of the only shows I'd ever film for. Uh, you want to dive into that a little bit as far as why, why did, why that statement or, or what made sense there? Yeah. Um, so for me, I've been, you know, I've, I've had, I've had a couple of different shows over the years say, Hey Nick, man, you killed some big deer, like come film for me. And, and for me, like, it's not about filming and putting it on social media and, and, and being in the limelight. Like that, that to me is not, I actually just got social media, believe this or not, like a month ago. Yeah, I saw <laughs> the, I saw the Instagram account. So yeah, yeah. Brand new. Um, so everybody makes fun of me for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not about that for me. And I think the draw and appeal for whitetail addictions for me is, you know, there's, these guys are out there just to kill big deer. And I think that is so missed in the industry now. I mean, there's select few groups that, that are just pure killers. And, you know, that's what I want to put myself and associate myself with. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff out there nowadays, um, you know, that, it's, you know, it's to, it's to make a sponsor look good or, you know, and I know I get it. Like that's how people feed their families and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me personally, you know, I have no desire to do that. And, you know, I don't want to have to change equipment because someone's telling me to change, you know, like I use what I want to use and I, and, and, you know, addictions obviously is, you know, Andre DeQuisto and his family with Lone Wolf, I've been using them for 15 years. And I believe that's one of the projects I won't, won't go without and uh you know leads uh, it's definitely a key to my success um but yeah i mean i just think addictions is very gritty very real there's no flash it's not sponsor driven um you know it's just real dudes killing big bucks and people that are straight addicted just like me so that that's what i meant by that comment yeah yeah and i thought that was cool and and justin and i have talked about uh even with andre too like the what 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 is what is a guy that is you know, essentially filming for whitetail addictions there's there's a few aspects you do have some guys killing absolute slammers um they also have a day job generally you know they it's not like these guys are, are these hunting celebrities um mm -hmm. and they're doing this at a high level in, in this game of life um one of the other aspects like you just mentioned they are addicted to whitetails like um you know, I think if you look at, at, at just you and I, we are both ate up with deer hunting, but full disclosure, dude, a 130 walks by me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. Um, awesome. That's just where I'm at in my career. That's just that. That's yeah. It. Nothing and, wrong and, with that. And dude, if he's 22 inches wide, he can be 110 inches. I don't care. I, I got to think <laughs> hammer <wide> bucks, <laughs> but, but right. like, you know, like the, 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 just the yearish round pursuit, the, the whitetails are always on the brain. And, and then the kind of another aspect to addictions is the mobile hunting. And you had just said like, you know, you've used those stands for years. Um, you had mentioned earlier in this podcast, you, you were on a climber. What, when did you buy your stand and sticks? What did that do for you? And how old kind of, let's talk it, let's dive into yeah. that. Cause I know that's something you're very uh, all about. Yeah, so uh, the right when I moved to Iowa, because I'll tell you right now, there's not a damn straight tree in Iowa. Okay. <laughs> so climbers don't work. Um, I quickly, I still have that climber, but um, for when I go back to Ohio, but you know, in Ohio you have all those big, tall, straight trees and poplars, and out here there it's just gnarly ditch locust. I mean, just nothing straight. And I quickly realized I'm like, this you'd have to saw the tree down. 
to get in it. And so at that pro shop I mentioned earlier, he's a, he's a lone wolf dealer. Um, and I wanted to buy local. So I, uh, I purchased my first, uh, my first hang on from them, from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, that, that really got my mind going. Cause I could see, I could hunt nearly every tree that I wanted to. Um, and then that, that, at that point, I, like, for me, I don't even hang tree stands preseason, like not one, I yeah. won't do it. Um, and that, that leads into the, another topic that I'd like to talk about just about pressure, but, um, you know, for mobile hunting, you know, I'll do minimal scouting and, and use, utilize some cameras, um, not as many as probably you would think. Um, but well, how many but, are you running? I mean, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, so for example, last year I ran two. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Not uh, many. And how many farms, how much ground are you? I, I, I know this is gonna, where this is going to lead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know the exact number of acres or exact number of farms. I mean, accessible to me, probably, I don't even know, probably 30 or 40 farms. Okay. Um, but ones I key on, there's probably five or six, mm-hmm. uh, maybe seven or eight, maybe. Okay. Uh, but I do have there. I do have my farm, you know, the key farms that I, I know where to spend the time, but you know, it's again, if something gets burnt out or a deer on chasing gets shot, I'm, my goal is always to have three, four, five, as many big, big deer where I, that I know is alive. Yeah. Um, you know, I learned a long time ago, I, I got real emotional over a single deer and hunted them a whole year. And I had the worst year of hunting in my life. Um, he ended up getting shot by the neighbor. Um, I didn't end up killing a deer till very late season and it was a very hard year. And, and since then, I mean, I just, if one's not killable, I just moved to the next and okay. it's, you know, I really focus on a lot of different areas. Um, yeah. cause if you're hunting the same herd, you can, you can, uh, rabbit hole yourself quickly. You had mentioned locating four or five shooters um, or as many shooters as possible. Uh, you've obviously got a, got a high caliber bar. You just said two, you only ran two trail cameras in 2019. Like how, I guess, how then are you finding these guys? How are you learning about them? Yeah. So I do a lot of driving, um, <laughs> a lot of driving. I, I do a lot of old school scouting. I mean, that's kind of what I called it last year. I mean, mm-hmm. previous years I'd ran 10, 12 cameras, um, but I had just had noticed that throughout the seasons, if I, the more and more cameras I ran, the less sightings I would see of that deer, especially in daylight. So just putting that together and I, I'm a, I'm a tech guy. So I, yeah. I, I uh, have a pretty robust um, Excel sheet that I've kept for many, many years of, you know, what wind, what caliber deer, what type of terrain, barometric pressure, weather conditions, all this info. And um, not only just on similar farms, but, you know, all the farms that I've hunted and had interactions with big deer. But, um, you know, I just quickly noticed pressure. I mean, pressure is the main thing. Last year, I stayed out, stayed out completely, scouted from afar. You know, when I went in to hunt, you know, I, I very... I'm a more aggressive guy jumping right in. Um, You know, I've always had the knack. I feel like to read sign. I don't know where it comes from. You know, I think it's my personal opinion. You either have that or you don't. You do. Uh, That's, that's, you, you can't, you can learn little tips and tricks. I feel to like, uh, oh, I listened to a podcast the other day, a guy talking about 
um, going through cattails, sometimes you can notice a buck's antler breaking cattails. But you can't force a guy to then recall that information when he's in cattails in six months and and look at at say four to five foot off the ground, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I there's only really one guy I hunt with. It's my good buddy Doug um, that I can I can send into a, a timber or a piece and say, go pick your tree. You know, there's there's not many guys like that, and you know, I've always for whatever reason had the knack. Um, to do it and I can look at a map and say I can put circles on a map and that's generally how I start I'll, I'll say here's a kind of a circumference of where I think it's going to happen and I'll go and I'll hunt before and again I only really scout from afar mm-hmm. um, and if I do run cameras it's just on the edge I don't ever until it's prime time I'm not putting cameras on making mock scrapes or putting you know preseason or any of that I, I leave it as untouched as possible and i think that that is a definite key to to unpressured deer but yeah um, can i back you up a little bit here yeah so you had said uh you do a lot of driving and you you mentioned uh you observe from a distance uh when when is this kind of coming into play is this something you take into season what does the, the the those two thoughts like can i can i get more details on those yeah so my phrase for it is scoop and loop um but it 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 really starts from you know now june july um i don't get too jacked up just on summer range but um, i do it all the way through the rut you know i'll 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 go after you know after dark and and scoop the loop on a section and see you know i'm checking for deer you know is he in that section and running this way um you know i'm constantly driving around looking for for big deer and if it's slow, I'm driving around, you know, and seeing where they're at. Mm-hmm. And if they're on their feet, that tells me I need to go, you know, where I need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I just do a lot more scouting than actual hunting. Um, Cause I, again, my firm opinion is the more you interrupt those woods, um, your chances go down every time. Okay. So is this, so uh, you guys open in October, are you still doing this all from a vehicle? Um, in, in, and it sounds like this is a really effective farm country, especially as these fields get harvested. What, like October one goes off and, and are you still driving these loops evenings, mornings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, October, unless I have one like really pattern early, I don't even go after them real hard, um, you know, early. I mean, I have had some deer where they're just doing the exact same thing and have, have killed them early. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I really don't start getting super aggressive to like that 6th, 15th, 16th of October. And, yeah, you know, right when the testosterone, I feel like, is starting to boost and they're starting to scrape. And uh, that's a time when, you know, the what people say the quote-unquote October lull is. And I'll, I'll tell you, I... I, I can show you some video and some pictures that will change a lot of people's tune on that. I just think, generally speaking, people aren't going where they're at at that time of the year. Mm-hmm. Now they're not moving far. They're you know they're in thick bedding and people don't want to penetrate it. But I, I mean, I have some pictures of even in the mornings too. Like that's a whole nother thing people say a lot is don't hunt mornings in October. That is not not true yeah i mean deer are moving you just got to be where they're at yeah 
do you, uh, I, I guess, have you, like, have you had decent success in that October 15th through like the 20th? Cause I feel like there's, and this is just from, from, Oh, you know, dial it back. I'm, I'm not the, the, the hunter you are, but like, I feel like the 15th through like the 25th is a little different game. And then the 25th through the end of the month, that is, uh, I mean, that's full send. I really like hunting that time period. I don't yeah. think I've dialed in my game for the 15th through the 25th, just, just as much as I'd like at this point. Yeah, it's a definitely, I mean, you hunt way different during that time. I mean, it's very, deer are very lackadaisical in that time. You know, they're still hitting food patterns, but for me, that's when I can, every year I just see deer scrapes opening up around that 15th. Mm-hmm. And then I also see that's when they start to come back to their beds later than earlier in October. Yeah. So I'll go, I mean, in the pitch black around that time in the mornings and set up on a transition from where I know they're going back to bed. And I killed a, a few years ago, I killed a 174 inch deer that way. Um, I, I had one picture of him. Uh, okay. and that was the only camera I had on that farm coming off the neighbor into this into this bottom and he was going right back to bed so that next day I, I went in there and just hung in the dark and killed him he did the exact same thing um, but I think hunting scrapes around that time that's that's an extremely effective way to do it um, that is when they are most for that's right when they're starting scrapes yeah and you might see them a little bit earlier you might start to see them in your area a little bit later but they're not really chasing around that time they're just starting to feel their oats and you can really ambush one yeah do you do you feel that um it's a morning or evening game with the scrapes or does it really not matter and 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 is it more just about when does it rain last you know because they tend to hit those oh you know they want to be there after that rain to to put that that yeah yeah i love hunting um either in light rain or right after rain i mean that's that's awesome but no i i don't think it matters i think i mean looking at the deer i've killed i've killed more in the evening just generally speaking Uh um but i've killed them in the morning on scrapes too and even in even in mid-october so okay i uh it just every deer is different you know every deer has a personality and then you add in how how much you know how pressured is the section that you're hunting um you know there's just so many variables and it's not a one-size-fits-all method for sure yeah so backing up to that trail cam you got of that shooter um and then went in the next morning thought he'd repeat one how did you know where he was betting um and then two talk me a little bit about where you decided to set up and ambush this deer and, and why that was successful yeah um on that property i the the previous year had scouted in march um and just, I mean, I bumped, I don't even know how many deer out of this, this bedding area a lot and, um, found a few different sheds in that area. And I, I quickly realized that was kind of the hub of that, that those two properties that I hunted right there. So really, I mean, more than anything on a hunch, um, the other thing is scooping the loop. And I had seen him, I'd seen him two days prior to that coming off of a cornfield that had just been cut going down in there um and then from there i really just read the sign um and just the terrain features and 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 i cut a huge track um and this deer had a monster body so just assuming that that was him i you know i put that camera right there and i actually caught him 
I put it going down a trail down into that bedding area and I caught him walking from the neighbor down into that trail and then I hung like eight foot off the ground in this just absolutely terrible tree but <laughs> is the perfect tree um I think I had like two sticks and uh I was sticking out like a sore thumb but I just put myself on the back side of the tree from where I knew he'd be coming and he had no idea it was there I could have jumped on his back I shot him at like seven feet or seven yards. You shot him at seven yards, two sticks high. You said you, 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 you sounds like you didn't have the most cover where you just huddled against that tree. And uh, I essentially to get to draw, you almost let him walk past you. I mean, so the tree was like? big enough. And I, I, I hung where the stand was facing on the backside of where he was coming from. Mm -hmm. And he came exactly where I hoped. So the whole time he was just looking at a tree. He wasn't looking at anything. I mean, he couldn't see my profile at all. Yeah. And I actually drew my bow looking away from him and then slowly just started waving it left as he was coming on this trail. And once he, this trail kind of dropped down into this little, I call it the bowl. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he started going down, I, I, I twisted and, and put it on him. But yeah, I mean, you don't have to be high. That's, that's for sure you just got to have you got to set up right and if there's no cover you just I've had good success hunting like that back side of the tree from where you think they're coming yeah so from trail cam photo to tree and then obviously there's a bedding area that you were cutting them off from what kind of distances are between some of these just so our audience paints a this is a pretty cool story I'm, I like I like the the two stick high the 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 drone strike approach here this is pretty cool mm -hmm. but let's let's paint a picture on distances I, I feel like sometimes that gets lost yeah, so I would say from where I first saw him to where I killed him is all probably within 20 acres. Okay. Um, not real far. Um, I think all in all, his he lived in a 40 to 60 acre piece of the property. Okay. Um, you know, the, the neighbor owns a couple hundred acres, and then I was hunting like 120 acres. Um, and then in that section too, there was quite, there's quite a few hunters. Um, <laughs> I joke about it, but I, I try to get a new truck as often as possible because people follow me around. Oh, um, I, you're not the only big buck killer that I've heard talk about the truck issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try to get different colored trucks and I don't put any stickers on trucks and, um, yeah, it's a, it's kind of, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of trouble with that, but um yeah in that section when I first started hunting it it was me and one other guy I bet there's so I bet there's five or six guys in that section now wow so uh trail cam to bedding area how many yards or, or mileage uh a couple hundred couple hundred three hundred couple hundred yards I'm sorry say that again couple hundred yards okay and then from from trail camera to to where you set up obviously you, you felt that was the the ambush point how how far uh, did you cut it right in half or you kind of tucked closer to the bedding? Um, I was pretty much right in half. Okay. Um, there was this big flat and then it dropped, you know, like I said, it dropped into that bowl. And I just knew like just with the sign where that was and there was just, that's where I caught that monster track coming down in that bowl away mm -hmm. from that food source um, towards the bedding. And um, again, in that time of the year, I think it was October 16th mm -hmm. when I shot him they just do very similar things um but that like i said i think that's when that i've done a lot of research of when they start to pop you know with testosterone and start feeling themselves and 
it just seems like around that time, that 16th or 19th specifically, it's they're starting to move just a little bit, little bit different, and they're yeah. starting to get a little aggressive, and that's exactly what he did. Nice. Um, and 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 I uh, I assume this was like a next day strike versus you didn't look at like a forecast and say okay like I got a picture of him but in four days it's going to be a like a cooler temp day or maybe a moon phase it was just nope I got my intel I'm going for it yep uh, that's exactly right and when I shot him it was like 74 degrees in the morning uh, in the morning it was hot yeah it was hot um, yeah I mean. Deer naturally, I mean, it's no secret that deer naturally move less in the heat. I mean, they have fur. I mean, think of your dog. It's the same way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if they're doing something, that that's something I learned at an early age. If you see a deer do something once, especially a mature buck, they're going to do it again. It, it's just, it's especially that time of the year. Okay. Um, you know, I've been burned, I burned myself a couple of years, a couple of times early on where, I was too cautious. I, I was like, oh, I don't want to penetrate that area because I'm going to bust them out. Well, yeah. I at, every time I've done that in my life, I've seen that deer do the exact same thing. And that goes for Ohio, anywhere I've hunted. Yeah. So if I see it once, I'm going right in. That's interesting, Nick. I'm glad you brought up that, that weather because I'm sitting here as a, as a guy who's trying to get better at his craft. And I, I don't think I would have had the most confidence to say, seen him uh track okay great like i know he's in that that area i think i would have probably played it out and looked at a at a, a slightly cooler temp days but 74 degrees in the morning uh that's that's something uh, you know i think i can take to the woods with me next time i i get some sort of uh recent intel uh go versus trying to maybe yeah. wait for that perfect perfect conditions yeah and and don't get me wrong i mean cold fronts are the best times to hunt i mean i that that is I, I would agree with that, no no doubt. But I also agree with the fact that if if a mature buck does it, you better you better get in because the more times you go in and don't hunt him, or don't get close enough, you're just putting yourself at odds. I mean, be it private, public, doesn't matter. Nice. Um, you know, I think there's everything I read and watch and on you know YouTube or magazines. There's there's this phenomenon it seems like of ease your way in you know hunt edges um and i think in certain circumstances that that is the case but those big bucks don't show themselves you know i think if you want to kill you know a lower age class deer buck or um you know a smaller buck yeah i think that you you can do that easy but those big bucks they're they they are so elusive and you have to get right on top of them and you just have to do it when when others aren't willing to do it. I mean, you don't have a ton of people hunting middle of October either. Um, yeah, that, that is very true. That is very. So, I mean, true. The, I'm a I'm a firm believer on as the season goes on, you know that all the scent that's getting pushed in from all these different hunters and these and you may not, you know, you may not think that the next hunter over is affecting you, but he is, and. You just gotta, you just gotta be aggressive. Yeah, and and you have talked about uh, pressure on a herd a lot throughout this podcast. And one of the main bullet points that that you know, if I look at the time here, we're fifty five minutes in, and and I know we wanted to spend a little time on your your thoughts around uh, not getting too uh, bottlenecked on one deer, 
and, and really hunting as many high caliber deer as you can. You, you want to kind of switch gears and talk about that here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, there's so many variables that kill deer, um, you know, be it cars, trains, poaching, disease, another hunter, and just going after one deer, it, you're really setting yourself up to be disappointed. I mean, yes, it works out a lot, you know, sometimes, but I would say majority of the time it doesn't go in your favor. I mean, that's just, if you look across all the hunters, um, you know, everybody hunting, it, it, you can see it. You know, everybody has that story of, yeah, neighbor shot him or next guy on the next ridge shot him. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just want to have as many options as possible, um, you know, and, and, and multiple different deer herds. That's another thing. Like I have a lot of friends that, you know, they may be able to hunt 600 acres, but it's all within, it's all within a section or two and they're hunting the same deer. So, I mean, if a couple of them get whacked, what are you going to do? You know, you don't have a lot to go after. And for me, yeah, I've been fortunate to move all over the state. So, I mean, I travel two, three hours um, at times to go kill deer and I don't have a problem doing it. You know, some people are like, Nick, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I want to travel 10 minutes to go hunt. Well, I do too, man. But uh, that big one's not there, you know? And if I, if I know a big one is two hours for me, I'm going two hours. If it's five hours, if, if there's a giant, I'm going to kill him. And I just try to keep myself you know, having as many options in as many areas as possible. That way, if I burn one out or one gets, you know, killed for whatever reason, I, I have another one to chase. Yeah. Do you, um, I guess to, to locate all these, you need a lot of property and you got to kind of spread yourself out, but do you ever feel like you may spread yourself out too much and, and you'd be better off to, it sounded like maybe you key in on, I think five-ish farms. Yeah, uh, you definitely can spread yourself out too far. I mean, there, well, there's two extremes. You can go way too far and you can not spread your, you know, not far enough. Um, and finding what that happy medium is, is, you know, again, there's a ton of variables with that of yeah, how time, much time life. do you have, yeah. how much, you know, family, you know, work, all that stuff. So, um, you know, I try to key on, I try to, my process is really, I'm going to get as much permission or lease as much as I can afford and by process of elimination from, you know, be it either scooping the loop or trail cameras, um, you know, then I dwindle that list down from say 20 to 30 farms to five or six. Mm-hmm. And then that way I'm always where I feel like I'm hunting a legit stand where I'm not just going to hunt to hunt. That's not what I'm out there to do. I'm going out there to kill a big buck. And you're scouting in in the better areas. Now, does these five or six locations or locations, do these areas shift almost on a yearly basis based on off-season scouting and summer scouting? Yeah, I have, there's very few farms. I only have, I would say, out of all the farms I've ever hunted here, Mm -hmm. I probably have only kept three or four. Um, because you have a good year in one farm, kill two big bucks. I mean, unless you're dead lucky, which I'm not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, you know, it may take two or three years to rebound from that property. So I may, you know, for the caliber of deer I want to shoot, but again, it's all relative. If, if you want to 
keep hammering on, you know, 130 or 40 inch deer. Yeah, you could, you can do that on, on properties every year. Um, but like 170 plus inch deer, um, you, you just can't and, or, you know, five to six year old deer. So even though it's a great property and I want to keep it, you know, I might, I have leases sometimes that I don't even hunt for a year. And yeah, it sucks I, because I, I'm I paying that money. Other high caliber buck killers say that same thing. And, and to me, it, 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 that almost bothers me as far as, oh man, I paid for, for a lease. But like at the same time, the, 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 the ability to not be emotionally attached because my goal is to kill a good buck, right? So even though I've invested, uh, let's say it's a, a cheaper lease, anywhere from five hundred to a thousand dollars, and 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 you know, you 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 know, you've invested that money, you almost feel like you have to hunt it. But if there's no big one there, and your goal is to kill a big one, you're wasting your time. Yeah, yeah you just have to go. Like if if you're not if you're if you're out to to lease property, I mean, if it's your first time, I encourage everybody to go in with the mindset of this probably there's a good chance that this is not going to work out i mean that's just the reality that you have to have mm -hmm. because if you don't you're going to be sorely mistaken i mean i've leased multiple farms that and spent a lot of money where it sucked you know and i was wrong on the intel or someone you know i got you know i got told something that was not real and that's just what it is and i a lot of times I'll have these leases and go kill a deer on permission ground. You know, it just, it happens. It happens. And some years those leases do provide, but you know, it's the year that you don't lease it. <laughs> that giant gets killed. It's just, just how it goes. So, I mean, I, I've kept a lot of, I mean, I've kept some farms for 10 plus years and uh, you know, out here I've obviously only been out here for six, but uh you know the whole, i still hunt farms that i got the very first year and yeah it's uh it's just a cat and mouse game um you know i'm not i'm not for you know i don't have the the money to own 1500 or 2000 acres and that's what it takes to you know really Dude. kill big deer every year like andre you know i think he has the perfect setup um you know i have buddies that have that setup yeah you know i have a couple buddies that are just they kill giant deer every year, but they own two, 3000 acres. You know, I, I can't afford that. So yeah, I get more into the lease game. Yeah. The DeQuistos don't have like the biggest farm. I was talking with a buddy the other day. I think it's, uh, it's under 700. I think it's between six and 700. It's so it's not, it's not the, the biggest, biggest piece. Um, yeah. but I think, um, Oh yeah. I, I, you know, the, the Lee and Tiffany's the, the, no, Juries. yeah yeah that's a uh, they've got the ground to, to really do it but i think uh i think a lot of what you just talked about can translate um do you do you keep tabs on on the public at all looking for um, not as giant? not as much anymore um just because i have the ground that i had to hunt but yeah um at any time don't get me wrong you know if i have nothing to hunt uh, that's where i'm going you know because mm -hmm. i uh, at bit year every year there's big deer uh killed in bit in public out here deer that i would shoot and yeah. um you know there was i know of three deer that would be 185 plus on public last year that i know of that, wow. that were either killed or seen and i mean they're there but yeah. it's it's a different as you know it's a different game and um you know what i have i uh to keep those relationships it's 
it's I just don't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I hear you there. Um Nick, anything you're like uh to wrap this up 2020 so we blink and deer season will be here. Do you have any goals or focus points if going into to next season what you might be looking forward to or or anything that you you I don't know, you're trying to improve upon? Yeah, I mean, I've never killed in one year I've so I have I obviously have my two statewide tags. I own ground here and I have an urban buck tag. So technically I could kill four bucks and I've never done that. I've never killed three bucks either. So my goal would at least be to kill three 170 plus inch deer with my bow. That would be that would be my goal. Um I do have one specific deer that um uh, the sheds were found too. Um, you know that he's mid 180s last year, so okay. he's uh, yeah, he's definitely going to get hunted hard and found here shortly. Um, so I mean, there's there's definitely some big deer out there, um, but yeah, I think that would be my goal for this year is just kill as many many big bucks as possible with my bow and just have fun, man. I mean, there's been some years where I burnt myself out chasing big horns and last year i i really had a lot of fun just doing it old school and that's what i plan on doing it this year too nice nice how many trail cams you gonna run i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i I don't know i did i did pick up some new farms um recently so i may do some trail camera intel early um on some edges but they'll probably be ripped by october one so sure um but yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a that will be spur of the moment game time decision. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. All right, Nick. Well, um, you know, like I said, guys, Nick is going to be filming for Addictions in 2020. Um, so hopefully we can be seeing his hunts a year from now. Nick, where can people find you? Because I've seen you put out a, a couple cool bucks uh, uh, on your Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah, Instagram is primarily it right now. Again, I I'm not you know <laughs> not big on the social media, but. Uh, you know, curly bird 23 is my Instagram. Um, you know, I, I also, you'll see on there that I, I'm absolutely obsessed with predator hunting. Um, I have some buddies that do that with me and do a lot of thermal hunting. So we'll be yeah, posting some, yeah, we'll be posting some cool videos of that. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I never thought I'd say this in my life, but I, I nearly enjoy that as much as bow hunting. Man, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. All right, guys. Well, I think I'm going to wrap this podcast up. Nick, uh, stay on the line here as I, I close her out. But, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Some high-level deer talk, some some tactical breakdowns, um, a lot of stuff you can apply uh, probably in your home state as far as, you know, spreading yourself too thin, not thin enough, locating deer, I don't think it necessarily depends on, on, you know, if you're, if you're at the 130 mark or, or just whatever you call a shooter, I think there's a lot of good takeaways here. Um, I think that's it for me. Uh, team hard earned bucks. We're out.